You're listening to Sober Exposure with me, Jennifer Wild. If it's about recovery, we're gonna cover it. It's like a big group therapy session, but it's free. <gasps> Welcome to Sober Exposure with me, Jennifer Wild. Let's go. Hey family, it's Jennifer Wild with a very special edition of Sober Exposure. And I mean, this is really a special edition and I'll tell you why, because we have a very special guest today. Yes, our guest is me, Jennifer Wild. <laughs> we should call this the narcissistic edition, right? Um, all right, so let me tell you, everybody's asking me to tell my story. And basically, now I know how Bands like the Foo Fighters and Metallica, how they feel when they have to go on stage every night and play the same friggin' songs over and over and over again. Because I've told my story so many friggin' times, I can't tell my story anymore. I'm so tired of my friggin' story. If I have to hear myself one more time, I'm going to friggin' throw up. I'm so sick of myself. So uh, I was interviewed by a lovely, lovely gentleman by the name of Chris Nell. And he has a podcast. It's called Have a Cuppa. And it's a great show. And he interviewed me. So I figured, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to give you bits and pieces of his show so I don't have to go through the pain and anguish of telling my story again. Because, you know, it is pretty painful. And there's, there, there were some things actually that we missed that we didn't talk about. But you'll, you'll get the gist of things. And, and while we're at it, I, I do have a couple emails that I want to answer. A lot of you are sending me emails. I mean, the show is really taken off. And I want to thank everybody for listening. And I am, I, I can't be more grateful. I'm totally humbled by the success of the show. Make sure that you subscribe and share and do all that good stuff. Um, I have somebody by the name of Andrew that's like totally obsessed. This dude's like psycho. I don't know why he's emailed me like a hundred million times because he, I guess he used to listen to me on the radio. And he's obsessed with my groupie stories. And he wanted to know what my first groupie experience was. And I know that he thinks I'm going to like get sexual with him. But dude, if you really want to know what it was, it's when I sat on Joe Perry's lap. But don't get too excited because I was like five. Okay. Yes. That was my, that was my first rock and roll experience, actually. And the reason why I'm bringing it up, because that's when I decided that I wanted to devote my life to rock and roll. And later on, I talk about how my first addiction was men. And I decided it was going to be men when I sat on Joe's lap because they were doing an in-store appearance at um, a store called the Record Exchange on Coventry in Cleveland, Ohio, back in the day when bands used to actually release record albums. Uh, Aerosmith in 75 released Toys in the Attic. And I had an older brother and he was a big Aerosmith fan. And we begged my mother to drive us to Coventry for this in-store where they're going to be signing autographs. So my mom, the sweet codependent that she was, that you hear us talking a lot about, drove us to Coventry. And I mean, it was a mob scene there. It was crazy. But my brother, the very determined older brother that he was, um, and I was just a little girl, I was five years old, and I was pretty friggin' adorable. And so, I mean, he just like pushed me through the crowd and held me up on his shoulders and he's like, Joe, Joe, this is my sister. You got to sign her. You got to sign her first album. Her first album's an Aerosmith album. And I was really surprised because uh, later on, 20 years later, well, I'll get to that in a minute. But Joe was totally enamored by my adorableness. And he picked me up and put him on his lap. And I smelled the alcohol and weed. 
all over him. And he just like kind of bounced me up and down and everybody took pictures and everybody was grabbing at me. And I loved the attention. So anyway, just all the excitement of that was my first experience with sex, drugs, and rock and roll at age five. And that's when I decided I wanted to dedicate my life to that lifestyle. Uh, Later on, 20 years later, I would interview Joe Perry and actually find out that he was like the most boring human being ever. God love him. Love him. Love him. Love him on guitar. Huge Aerosmith fan. Uh, But... I, I, I couldn't get the guy to say one word. It's like, if you would tell Joe that story, you'd think he'd smile. He was like, oh, that's a cool story. But anyway, uh, so uh, without further ado, I'm going to give you Chris Nell and ask questions the Chris Nell way. So thank you. This is Sober Exposure. I'm Jennifer Wild, and we're going to hand it over to the real professional here, Chris. Today's guest is truly a treat for the weekend to throw this forward so long because she comes from the realm I have been intimately involved with. Now, chiefly, I've been involved with broadcasting in radio for more than four years as both host and producer. The big mistake a lot of people make to this day is that the great unwashed think that we as DJs sit behind a microphone, talk rubbish for about eh, three, four, five hours max, and then we go home. Uh -uh. It takes a lot of effort to create good content. The big problem as of late is the top brass who just can't appreciate talent. And plus, the business has changed so much. People want more convenience in the sense that they want content quickly and at the snap of a finger. But that said, entertainment may be both my career and my passion, but it's sobriety and mental health and making connections that forms my life. And this is true for the woman named Jen Wild. Jen Wild for many years became a legend of both Cleveland and Florida radio, working at many pioneering rock stations, hosted broadcasts at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Jen, I know you're gonna be listening to this and I'm saying this right now, doll, I am jealous. And she even rubbed shoulders with the who's who of all the rock acts that we know and love, from Steven Tyler to Dave Grohl. That said though, Living life full tilt has led Jen to dance with the devil all too many times. Without giving too much away, since sober, Jen has retired from spinning records and is now spinning sounds, rather, of healing and is being of service to the hopeless. She still makes use of her silky velvet voice as podcaster with her newly launched podcast on Spotify named Sober Exposure. Speaking of sounds, her repertoire these days extends to being that of a healer with namely knowledge in both Ray and sound healing, all of which that you'll hear in this interview. Needless to say, she fills this interview with both raw honesty and some sly wit, and a woman that I would love to have in my life more often. Hence why I dubbed my new buddy the Wonder Woman with the Velvet Voice. Check out this rocker beauty on Instagram at SoberExposure underscore podcast, and even have a listen to the Motormouth Wax Everything Sobriety on the Sober Exposure podcast. With all that said, let's hop into the hot rod with some sweet roast and head on down south to enjoy a cuppa with the ever sassy sweetness. That is... Jen Wilde. And off we go. The woman with the velvet voice, Jen Wilde in front of me. What an honor. (laughs) I've never heard velvet voice. Raspy, I've heard many times. Velvet? Okay. Not a chance. Okay, good. 
You can imagine my surprise, we were talking about this off air somewhat, when I discovered that you and I have been in the same industry. How exactly did you end up spinning records and talking into the receiving end of a mic? Um, well, I was a teenage alcoholic and addict and I wanted to chase rock stars and I wanted to figure out how I could make money doing it. So <laughs> I got an internship at a radio station at a very young age and just kind of fell into it. I mean, mm. it, it, it's, it's such a such a long story, but um, I mean, this this is a show about like, you know, um, addiction. So I mean, I could really just let it out of the bag. I went to I was shipped off to Minneapolis um, mm -hmm. right after high school when all my friends were they were all going to college like these all, you know, like uh, I, I, I grew up upper middle class. And all my friends were going to these uh, Ivy League colleges uh, that their parents were paying for. And I was going to an Ivy League treatment center. <laughs> so, um, yeah, 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 right. So I, I went to treatment in Minneapolis. And then after treatment, I decided that I was going to stay in Minneapolis. And then um, that it became summertime and it was time to get a job. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to get a job at a radio station. So I got a job hanging banners, basically, and uh, hence didn't stay sober, um, but did manage to break into the business. And uh, this uh, night jock kind of took a took a liking to me. And he would he'd be like, uh, we, we'd be out at night. And this was this was this was the late 80s. And I would be out at night. And I don't know, for some reason, he just thought it was funny and he was always hitting on me and he'd be like, hey, come in the studio. And I mean, I was just like the biggest airhead 80s bimbo you can imagine. And he'd, he'd, he would have me come in the, in, in the studio and he'd be like, so where are you going tonight? I'd be like, oh, I'm going to Iron Horse. I'm right, you know, and I was just like, he would just make fun of my stupid stories. And for some reason, I would. I would just always rebuttal and then I would make fun of him back and he would make fun of me. And before you know it, there was this chemistry between the two of us. And it was almost like a morning show. And, uh, you know, I had no experience on the air. I was just this, you know, teenager hanging banners, you know, the little promotions girl. And um, I'm walking in the hallway one day and the big guy, the big program director is like, hey, are you that girl on uh uh, on the Alan Cable show that I hear at night, and I'm like, uh, yeah. He's like, girl, you, you got some talent, and I'm like, and you uh, do, you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I mean, this is someone that was a high school dropout, you know, teenage alcoholic, and all I'm doing is going in there just, just shooting the shit, you know, and mm. with this with this guy, and it turned out that you know, they loved it, so. <laughs> <laughs> he told me, he's like, you know, obviously, you know, I can't put you on the radio, but, you know, if you go to, maybe you should go to make, maybe, a, you know, a little nine month broadcasting school in town and come back and talk to me and I'll put you on the radio. So okay. I called my daddy, like, daddy, 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 I would be on the radio. He's, you know, he's like, uh, my dad had so much confidence in me. He's like, Let, just do what I told you and go to cosmetology school. <laughs> 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 yeah, right, you know. Here's the audition tape I came out with the broadcasting school. He's like, oh, that's great. Okay, so, um, yeah, you sound great. Just like I thought, you do have talent. Um, what I can do is I will give you a weekend overnight shift on our sister station in Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, meanwhile, this was 
the middle of winter and week weekend overnights, I would have to drive three and a half hours. I, I don't know if, if your father did this, but parents, you know, when I was a kid, I had to walk 10 miles up oh, yeah. to school. You know that old joke? That so, old later on, it, it, Yeah. Later in my career, I would tell my interns, you know, oh, you know, kid, you have it easy. When I was starting out, I had to drive three, three and a half hours in the snow in Minneapolis, uh, you know, from Minneapolis to Duluth different time in the business because it was predominantly a male-oriented medium and there weren't as many female talent at the time. You and I spoke of her, there was Meg Griffin, before that there was Alison Steele. So you came along more or less at a time uh, in a in a parallel shift in the business. Yeah, yeah, and I, I came I came in a lot, uh, th- those girls are all much older than me, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but also beautiful and also spunky. And change yes. the business. But yes, um, yes. taking a complete yeah. 180 from there, you said you began drinking in your teenage years and using drugs in your teens. Yes. Yeah, I did. I mean, I was I was a little party girl from, from the beginning. I mean, I decided in kindergarten that I didn't like school. And um, I in started... There. Yeah, I decided my I started my addiction with like boys, even in kindergarten, you know, um, <laughs> chasing the boys. <laughs> yeah, chasing the boys in kindergarten and um, continued that addiction. And then, you know, that that evolved from chasing the boys to the bad boys. <sighs> to the rock stars, to the drugs, to the alcohol. And uh, yeah, I mean, in all seriousness, I was definitely drinking alcoholically by 16. And in the 90s, you know, back when um, Pearl Jam and, and Alice in Chains and all those depressing Nirvana, all those oh, Seattle yeah. bands were breaking and heroin was in and, you know, all the drugs and that was accepted. Like it was, it was like, oh, cool. You're into drugs. Great. We'll hire you. Like that oh, was, yeah. that was a good thing. You know, like they, 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 they didn't frown upon that at all. It's not like these days you work at a radio station. It's like a bank, you know, <laughs> they like drug test you. <laughs> exactly. Back then they're like, if you're, back then it's like, if your drug test is negative, you are not hired. If you're going to be the rock jock. I had a set of balls on me. I did. Like I was a younger, I was not afraid to, you know, to knock on doors and to, you know, um, send my tape or to call the the guy that's, you know, that's the, the main guy at the biggest station in the country and be like, hey, listen to my tape. Uh, even though I'm a nobody, you know, I, mm. I, I mean, and back then, everything was different. It was a different world, you know. It definitely Absolutely. was a different world. When your drug dealer's telling you to stop doing drugs, then oh. you know that it's a problem. Like, they, Mm. Like they, I'm working for a rock station where it's cool to be. They they wanted me to be the party girl, and then they're like, "Okay, yeah, no, you got to stop partying." Like this is just <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. And so they found a rehab where uh, South Florida, the capital of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Talk about being thrown out of the frying pan and into the fire. Got a job in South Florida and um, didn't stay sober for long. There's always a, you know, you could always uh, dig a deeper hole. So I don't want to say, you never say that you've reached your bottom because 
that means that you, you know, that you're saying that you're done. And I never want to say that because that means that um, I'm not afraid of my disease. I woke up in the ambulance and I couldn't breathe. And they, they, you know, brought me to life and I thought I was going to die and I couldn't get to the hospital fast enough. And I, I came to and I was like, I was just given another chance at life. Like I, I was just dead and I couldn't breathe because I, 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 I you know, I've always loved um, John Bonham of Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. And I've always like really. Yeah, I've always like really looked up to him as, uh, you know, his his the way he plays the drums and stuff but mm-hmm. like i didn't I, I never wanted to look up to him like um the way that he died by choking on his puke but i almost did because i choked <laughs> on my puke for some reason i you know i i was spared and so like at first i, I was like god you know god must have something really amazing for me to do in this world. Like I have, there's gotta be some reason why I was saved. Cause I've lost so many people to this disease and I was saved. Like I'm still here and how did I not die? I was like, I was given this chance. And if I fuck it up, I'm turning my back on God, you know? And then I started thinking about it again. And it was like, you know what? Maybe I don't even have that much of a like huge, thing to do in this world. Maybe I'm not here to do something miraculous. Maybe I'm just supposed to be a friggin' mother to my child. Maybe that's mm-hmm. it. Maybe that's it, you know? But I, w- I was given another chance, you know? And 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 I, that that's it, you know? Because I'm done. My number's up. My angel's up there. My guardian angels, they're sick of me. They're like, we're done. That's it. We get that chance. <laughs> not, we're, no more, Jen. We're tired. <laughs> we'll find someone else. Yeah. So um, that was the last time I used. Through the pandemic, I feel like that was kind of like self-help on steroids because we were so many people were getting fat and drinking and accelerating their addiction. I was meditating. I have a gym in my garage and I was working out and I got in the best shape of my life. Um you know, I'm 51 years old and I will out. No way. Any, yeah, I'll out train any 29 year old out there. And I will. I will. You know, I mean, you're 51. Yeah. You're lying. No, I have a really good plastic surgeon, too. When I started training, um, I couldn't even run. Da- I couldn't even run half a block. Now I can't even tell you the stuff that I do physically because I'm really, you know, that's a, that's a part of my program is my fitness, you know. Literally, um, it can't be everything though because you know we're addicts and a lot of people replace that. And it's like just the gym, the gym, the gym, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, can't do that. But yeah, everything has to be in balance. But you know that and and the meditation and a big one here, helping others. Where did you make the shift from broadcasting to physically working in helping others in rehab? Because that's been your primary focus now, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was sort of an accident. Um, I was looking for a job that wasn't working for a while. And um, I was looking for a job. And I was like, I mean, what are my qualifications? Well, I can talk up 
the Freebird record better than anyone. You that, that you would understand. Nobody else understands that. I could I could hit the post like nobody else. You know that means when you're talking up a record, it's like Big One Hundred Five Nine. It's Jennifer Wild, Aerosmith on the way for you. Call her ten. We're gonna give you tickets to go see Bob Seger live on Big One Hundred Five Nine. And then you hit the post. <laughs> then they do thing. Yeah, right. So uh, yeah, I could do that better than anybody. But like. What else could I do? Nothing. So I'm sitting here because that's all I've done since I was a teenager. So I'm sending out all these friggin' resumes uh, on Indeed.com, resume after resume after resume, um, and nothing. I mean, I'm first of all, nobody's responding to me because my resume is only about you know working in radio, and all the jobs I'm. I'm, I'm applying for is it's depressing me and I'm throwing up at the fact that I have to do these jobs. They're all like freaking telemarketing sales. Job, ugh, ugh. Oh, and then I see crikey. something. Yeah. I wanted to die. And then I see something and it said, um, big book, looking for a big book warrior. And it didn't even say what the job entailed, but it's like big book warrior. I'm a big book warrior. And if you're not familiar with the big book, which is cool, it's basically, um, our Bible. It's the Bible for alcoholics. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's our, it's, it's, it's God's way of saying, I love you to alcoholics. It's a special book to us. Absolutely. So, um, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm a big book warrior. I can do that. So I applied for the job and it was a treatment center and I went in there and they said, have you ever worked for a treatment center before? I said, no. And they said, what's your experience? I go, well, I'm an addict. They're like, how many times have you been in treatment? I said, probably like 40. Amazing. They're like, okay. And then it gets better. They're like, so what's your drug choice? Cocaine. Yeah. So what's your body? Well, I almost died. How many times have you been arrested? Oh, like eight. And then like that. It's like a boardroom. I'm telling you. I'm in a boardroom with like freaking eight people in suits and ties. And they're like so impressed. It's like, where'd you go to school? Yale. No, no. It's like, how many times have you been arrested? Eight. They're like shaking their head. They're like, oh my God. She's tired. So it must have been sweating. <laughs> it was so great. My, um, I, I was the most qualified for the position. I was up against like eight people, but because I am such um, a ridiculous alcoholic and drug addict, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, that that was that that was what they were looking for. They were just looking for somebody that could understand other addicts and that are compassionate and. Um, know how to talk to drug addicts and their families and can stay sober. Mm. So got the job, been working there for a while now. And, you know, um, I definitely don't do it for the paycheck. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I, I, I do it because um, I feel like it's, I'm giving back what was, what was given to me really. My biggest problem is getting out of my own way. I'm constantly tripping over myself. Dude, as constantly. am I. As am I. Yeah. <laughs> just ask my son that just walked in. My 16-year-old son, Hunter. He's here. And you didn't do anything. We're on a podcast. And I was just talking about how um, right now we're on a podcast live. Oh. Yeah. How you, you doing, mate? Walk away yeah. <laughs> um, he can tell you all okay. kinds of great stories about what it's like being raised by an addict. Yeah. How is it, Hunter? Not. How long did it take for you to trust me? I still don't trust you now. <laughs> Come on. Who wouldn't trust that sweet, sweet face?
I've seen on, on Instagram that you do all kinds of different therapy, namely, please, if I mispronounce it, help me right, Reiki healing. Yes, you did pronounce it right. It's Reiki, oh, thank yes, goodness. that's correct. The first time that I heard of the concept was all through these funky ASMR videos on YouTube. But okay. what does it exactly entail? Because you have in-depth knowledge on the subject, I see. Really, all Reiki is is like, just say like, um, if if a little kid falls and they and they and they scrape their knee mm -hmm. and then instinctively you put your hand on their knee uh -huh. it's that energy that makes their knee um it gives comfort to, to the to the knee when right. you put your hand on that knee that's energy that's energy so that's like okay. that is like the kindergarten version of how to explain reiki um obviously it's much more in depth than that but it's just it's, it's it's energy healing. It's universal energy healing, and it's it, it's very spiritual. Um, it's you, you can use it in your meditation. You could use it to help yourself physically heal. You could help yourself. I mean, I use it. I use it for for my meditation practice and to mm -hmm. spiritually heal. Um, it it's it's really helped me with my spirituality because I always had a really hard time with spirituality and God because I was raised Jewish and I mean mm -hmm. yeah you know it's, it's it's wonderful as as far as a culture and like getting together and um eating matzah soup and stuff but as far as like it was all in Hebrew and it was really boring <laughs> all due respect to my religion but yeah like I mean come on <laughs> I hear you it, it, you know like um there, there's a there's a church across the street from from where I, I live, and there's like this really cool band, and 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 the pastor wears jeans, and he has a goatee, and he's really cool, and they play rock music in the morning. You know, mine <laughs> That's was so like, cool. yeah, yeah, but mine was like in freaking Hebrew. I couldn't understand a word they were saying when I was growing up, and it was really boring. So I always had a hard time with spirituality because it just didn't mm. make any sense to me, you know. Mm. Um, and if you haven't noticed, I'm a little ADD. It was just a circle of people and they played, you know, the meditation music. They had the incense. They had the sage. You could, I'm sure you could imagine the whole thing. And I'm sitting in this circle and we close our eyes and there's people behind us and they don't even touch us, but our mm. eyes are closed and you could feel the energy. I and then all of a sudden, you can't deny that. You can feel oh it my, no, on no, your like, skin, in your bloodstream. Your eyes, your mouth, the whole spiel, you can feel it. Well, then you've had it, then you know what it is. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The one thing that calms me is sound. Waves, birds, and you've actually put it up on your uh, Instagram handle, which I find particularly fascinating, where you would take like a bowl, which looked like aluminium or bronze, and just tap it, and that echo is so stimulating. Yeah, yeah, that's a Tibetan singing bowl. Um, I love that. I also have my my crystal bowls. Um, I have something else called a steel tongue drum that I love. I have my tuning forks, and then oh, um, tuning forks. There's another one. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're awesome. And then I like to align them with the chakras too, and then they can help open up the chakras, which could be a whole other podcast about. Of course, the chakras, of course, the chakra of system. Course. Yeah, um, and yeah, the, the sound healing definitely is that that whole realm like you know i did I, I touched upon the 12 step the 12 steps but that whole realm i have to tell you is such a big part of 
how I stayed sober and how I stay sober. Like I was only into the sound healing and the crystals and the Reiki and, and, and I was only doing that. And I got so into it that I went out and I used it. I blamed it on the full moon. (laughs) 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 Not kidding. It's like, Oh, it was the full moon. So, um, yeah. So then I, I came to understand that I need to hang out with other alcoholics and addicts. I need um, to have a closer connection to um, taking a personal inventory and, and all of that part and helping others, you know, um, the 12th step I have to do. Absolutely. In conjunction, in conjunction with the sound healing and the meditation and the crystals. Thank to you me, for the caveat. And, 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 the, and the physical um, training and my, and my working out. Mind, body, spirit. Because, I mean, you come from the business that I used to adore. I still respect it, but no, no that, that yeah, was... Yeah, now you can see itself. I'm so intimidating, right? Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> but just your fun-loving personality and there's a, li- a language that you and I have yes, of accepting our, our second chance, which I appreciate you more for. And now I can understand why either an alcoholic or an addict or both can approach one another, even though they don't know one another from Adam and say, I love you because we've been there together, chapter and verse. Yeah. Yeah. Just like it says in the, but we are people that would normally not mix, you know, but, um, like I wouldn't, I, I normally would not have an opportunity to meet you. Mm. Um, there's so many people that I would never have the opportunity to meet, but thank, thank goodness for this, uh, affliction, disease, whatever you believe, whatever you want to call it for this thing. I've had the opportunity to meet so many people. I'm grateful to be an addict because you know what, if I wasn't an addict, I don't think I would have any depth. I don't think I would have any time. Not at all. I'd be just a little fluffy airhead, you know. You certainly have learned a lot of life lessons. Just off the top of your head, what are they? Uh, it's a broad question, be, I know. No, 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 no. The, the, the main thing is be grateful for what you have. Stay in the present. Just stay in the present moment and and most important, gratitude and stay in your lane. Staying in my lane means worrying about what I'm doing and what's happening in my life and worrying about my son, not worrying about my friend's daughter and what she's doing and where her daughter's going to college and where her daughter's and what what she's driving and it staying in my lane because you know what? That is what makes me sick. That's what makes me go out. That's what makes me crazy. I stay in my lane. I look at myself. I make sure that I'm the best version of myself every day. Well, that's it. Said. And you have no regrets whatsoever. None. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. Mm-mm. I wouldn't say that I have no regrets. Um, I think that everything I went through definitely made me the person that I am today. However, I do wish I would have gotten it a couple of years earlier. I do. Mm-hmm. And I do have regrets. I do. That would be a lie if I said I didn't. I do have regrets. I do. Um, but 
I've done a lot of work and I've done a lot of um, self-forgiveness and I could forgive myself and and I, I'm okay with myself. Happy I don't dwell on my regrets. I don't dwell on my regrets. My younger people that I help, you know, just do it, man, because otherwise you're gonna friggin' have to do it anyway. You're either gonna die, you're gonna end up in jail or rehab, or you're just gonna have to do it. And if you do it later, the later you do it, the more you fuck up in your life and the worse your life is gonna be. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this disease is too strong anyway. No one, no one can ever, no one will ever have the ability to get sober for someone else. They'll always end up using again. Correct. I mean, oh, get sober for get sober for a guy or get sober. No, you, you. The only way, the only way I was able for me, I'm going to speak for myself. The only way I would ever be able to get sober was for myself. If there was ever a way to get sober for someone else, I would have done it already a million times because there was a Naturally. everyone in my life wanted me to get sober. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, mm-hmm. I, I, I've loved people before. You know, I loved my mother dearly, and she, all she wanted was for me to get sober. And I loved her more than anything. And if I had the ability to get sober for her, I would have. But we can only hope for the best. Yeah. Jen Wilde, if I say thank you, it's truly an understatement. You're a superstar in my eyes. I want to say on behalf of the voiceless, who you are still helping, currently helping, and who you are going to help. Keep up the good fight, and don't take this the wrong way. I love you dearly, my friend. Oh, I love you too. Need more? Of course you do. The show's all about needing more. Go to my website at soberexposure.show or get stuck on my Instagram at soberexposure underscore podcast.